Take your Bibles and turn to Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 2, and beginning in verse 8. We're going to pick up right after the birth of Christ that's uh, described in verses 1 through 7. Uh, hear now God's Word. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were fear filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into, the, into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. That sends the reading of God's word. Uh, you may be seated. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Amen. Let's uh, pray. Father, as we come to you this morning, we do come and pray for your blessing upon the word. But Lord, we, I just also was just reminded, uh, I forgot to pray, Lord, for those that have encountered this uh, tragic storm uh, the last couple of days in, in Kentucky, these tornadoes and Illinois and other states. And Lord, we pray for your grace upon them and pray for your church in those areas, Lord, that you would use your bride to minister to these communities and that you would open up opportunities for them to share Christ. Lord, we also want to thank you so much for your word because it is your word, because it is breathed out from you, your very lips and your heart. Grant that by your spirit, we would not treat it as simply the words of men, but indeed take it for what it is, the very words of God. We know as well that your word is powerful and effective and sharper than any two-edged sword and that it it was given to instruct us and to correct us and to rebuke us and to train us up in righteousness and to show us the way of salvation, which is by faith in Jesus Christ. So Lord, grant that we would hear your word and respond to it in faith. It is in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen. Well, up till this point in time, kids, we've... Uh, this Advent season, been looking at some of the major events of the Christmas story. But up until this point in time in the story, the news of Jesus' birth has really been sort of a, a private family matter. It's been uh, talked about between angels and, and Mary and angels and Joseph, some relatives, Elizabeth, Zechariah, they, they knew about it and stuff. But as we come to our text today with the angels, uh, things begin to change. Now the news is beginning to spread of Jesus' birth. And, and we understand what it is to make baby announcements. I, I know that. 
Uh, the way we make baby announcements may change over the years. It used to be years ago, if you had a baby, you would have to call somebody on the phone or, uh, believe it or not, actually put a postcard in the snail mail, right, and send it out and wait for somebody to get it. You know, but now we, we plaster signs in our front yard saying it's a boy, it's a girl, or obviously social media plays a, a big role in that. And there's all kinds of things with pictures and descriptions and weight and height and length and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but there is no announcement, no baby announcement that is as spectacular as the one that we read about in Luke chapter 2, right? And I want us to look at this this morning. And it really, the outline is very simple. Uh, in verses 8 through 14, we're going to look at uh, the proclaiming of the good news, the proclamation of the good news. And then second of all is the, the response uh, to that good news. And so uh, let's look at these uh, this morning. First of all, I want us to see the way the good news is, is proclaimed. Look at verse 9. Uh, well, even beginning in verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. In other words, these shepherds were just doing what they always do all the time. They're watching over their sheep. They're, they're out in the night. And all of a sudden it says, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Now, can you imagine, kids, what that would have been like to be outside in this dark night? Uh, and then all of a sudden, an angel appears. Now, that would have been disturbing enough, I'm sure. But imagine an angel appears with the glory of the Lord that shone all around these shepherds. Now, that word glory in, in the Hebrew is kabod. Okay, it means weight. It, it means something that's substantial. The, the Greek word is a little bit different, doxa. It's more non-material, meaning splendor or brightness. And so while there's sort of differences in the connotation of uh, these two words, kabod and doxa, both are associated with just radiant light. And as a matter of fact, this is the word that is used, that, that Paul uses as he describes Paul's conversion from Saul to Paul on the road to Damascus. Remember, kids, he was writing, and all of a sudden he saw this bright light, so bright that it blinded him, and he was, uh, couldn't see. And then Jesus spoke to him. Well, that's the word that's used. So there was this bright light that, that shone around them. And, and I was just trying to think, I thought, how can I, how can I convey what these shepherds might have felt? And honestly, I just couldn't think of a great illustration. So I'm going to give you a poor illustration that might somewhat get us there, but it's not going to be even close. Um, if, you're, if you're a person who likes like action movies and stuff, you've probably seen scenes on TV where there's a person who's being held hostage and maybe they're in a foreign country and they're being held by terrorists or a dictator or some cruel person who treats them terribly. They have them locked up in a room somewhere and stuff. And, and so here they are fearing for their life. And all of a sudden, one day, they, they hear this commotion out in the hallway and boom! Through the door burst these men. And, and they're all in their military garb and they have their weapons and stuff. And of course, the, the, the captives are just terrified at what's happening, and, and they're, they're afraid until they find out that these are Navy SEALs or Marines or some special forces. They come in, they say, hey, I'm here. I'm here to save you. I'm here to take you out of this trouble and bring you back to safety. And then all of a sudden, that fear is transformed into joy 
as those captives realize that they're going home. Well, that's just a, that's just a little picture, you know, uh, of what it was probably like on that night as, as these shepherds saw the angels that, that appeared to them. And so we see this angel coming in, in the glory of the Lord to proclaim this wonderful news. And, and who does he proclaim it to? Well, he proclaims it to shepherds. Now, you know, we, we think nothing of the fact that God sent a messenger to shepherds. As a matter of fact, we've heard this story so many times that it would seem odd if God didn't show up and proclaim this message to shepherds. But to, to the original audience of this gospel, this would have sounded very strange. Because shepherds were, were people that were not really looked upon very highly. If you, you had anything that you wanted to talk to somebody about that, of a religious nature, you would not have thought about a shepherd. Because shepherds were separated from human communities and, and cultures for long periods of time. They probably spent more time with sheep than they did with people. Uh, other than one another as well. And so, of course, in, in, inevitably, that would make them subject to suspicion and scorn of other people, you know, because they were, they were so different. And they were oftentimes seen as notorious liars. And so they weren't, their word wasn't taken into account. And when people said something, you know, it, it's sort of like, you know, you can't believe them. You just, you just can't trust them. So they couldn't even be a, a, a reliable witness in a court of law. They were also uh, not trusted. Uh, well, okay, I'll just put it this way. They just, they were, they stole, you know? They just took other people's stuff. Uh, like one person said, they said, apparently shepherds had a reputation of having a difficulty in discerning the difference between mine and thine. In other words, my, your sheep would sort of somehow end up in their sheepfold, you know, and they, they would take them. But there was also a sense in which they were uh, unable to keep the details of the ceremonial law just by the nature of their job. I mean, they were unable to observe the ritual hand washings. They also were uh, close to unclean animals. They, they touched dead carcasses, you know, especially as they had to protect their sheep and stuff like that. And so, you know, they, they were considered ceremonially unclean, which is sort of interesting because they were the ones who cared for the sheep that were then offered for the sacrifices. And yet they were uh, unclean. So according to the Mishnah and the Talmud, uh, shepherds were listed among the despised trades, like gamblers or tax collectors. And really, some even would go so far as to say only lepers were seen as worse than shepherds. And so good religious people of Jesus' day didn't know what to do with shepherds. And, you know, they would look at this and say, Lord, why did you send the angels to shepherds. Why not to the religious elite? And yet, we know, uh, as, we, as we look at this, we can sometimes have the, the same view of people. We can look down upon other people, right? You know, we might see somebody who is an alcoholic and who is homeless and, and you know, someone who has found themselves in the situations in which they're in uh, even by their own choice. And we can be tempted to look down upon them. And that was sort of the, the mindset and the view of, of the people of Jesus' day towards these shepherds. And yet, as we think about that, that, that the message of the birth of Jesus Christ came to those who were considered ritually unclean by their society is a reminder to us that the love of God 
is not just for those who are sort of cleaned up, somebody who has their act together, but um, it is for all people, as the text says. And, and it is especially for those whom good people in our society would just as soon pretend didn't exist. It reminds me of the prophet Isaiah, and as he prophesied, and he talked about the work of the Lord and calling the people to himself, even from Jew and Gentile, and that one day that they would be gathered into enjoy the presence of the Lord forever. Uh, in Isaiah 61, 1, we read these words. The Spirit of the Lord it, uh, God, excuse me, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to whom? The poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. So God didn't send his angel to people of influence or prestige or clout. He came, first of all, to the poor and the lonely, the meek and the afflicted and the outcast. You know, later when Jesus was in his ministry, he would say, I I did not come to call the righteous, but I came to call sinners. In other words, Jesus was saying, I didn't come for people who think that they're already righteous. They're already okay. They're already right with God. He said, I came for people who know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they are not righteous, but they are sinners. And the gospel is for those who know they need the Lord Jesus Christ. And we, we learned that from the very first announcement of the angels to the shepherds who were looked down upon as sinners by their contemporaries. God came to them with the gospel. And until we realize that, until we realize that we are a sinner, you are not ready to respond to the glorious, unexpected, lavish grace of God held out for us in the gospel. And friends, I, I want to challenge us, even those of us that know that we're sinners. You know, we can know that, and yet we can oftentimes forget that. And we can act as if we are not sinners. And we, we still struggle with pride and self-righteousness. And we can look down upon others. And we can make judgments about people based on their external appearance. But, but I want to ask you this. Does, does this reality that God brings the gospel to sinners, that, that you stand in need of grace, does that have a radical impact on everything in your life? Does it impact the way you look at God? Do you come to Him with a sense of humility and a sense of gratefulness, a sense of joy, that, that He would allow you into His presence because of His wonderful grace? It's not that you deserve to have an answer to your prayers, but He is being gracious and good and kind. Does it impact the way you look at yourself? The way you look at others? Even the way you treat others? Think about this week and the conversations you've had and the, the situations that, that you found yourself in. Does that reflect the wonderful grace of God to those who are unworthy and yet have received His love? Our God is a gracious God and He reaches out to sinners and we see it in the angel's announcement. And so you, you see here 
the sort of the context of that the gospel is given and the glory of God and who it's given to those who are unworthy. But with this is a message of hope that results in joy. Look again at verse 9. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. You see, the angel brings them good tidings or good news. Uh, while he doesn't share with them every aspect of the gospel, you know, Paul does a really good job in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4, of giving us just a good, concise explanation of the gospel. They don't quite go into that much detail, but they do share with us important things that we need to understand and that would have been good news to the shepherds in that day. First, they say in verse 11, he says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. In other words, he's saying that which has been prophesied, that which God has promised, that which he has spoken about, that which your people have always looked forward to, kept thinking, Lord, when is the day? When is this going to happen? And it's always something in the future. The angel is saying, actually, the fulfillment of that promise is in the present. It has happened now. It, it, it is yours. And what has happened is, is that the Savior has born in the city of David, namely Bethlehem. In other words, what Micah the prophet tells us about the Messiah and how he has been born has come to take place. And then secondly, we see who it is that has been born. A Savior, yes, but who is Christ the Lord? It is Christ, which means Messiah or anointed one. The Messiah whom God prophesied in the Old Testament who would be Israel's savior. But this is not just any Messiah. or uh, He is the Lord. Now, Lord can be mean master, but it also is an Old Testament reference to Lord as in reference to God. Do you remember when God is speaking to Moses at the burning bush, and he tells Moses to go deliver his people, God's people, and, and Moses you know, starts coming up with excuses, but one of the things he says is, well, what if they ask me, what's the name of the Lord? And God says, tell them that I am that I am sent you. And that phrase, I am that I am, is sort of the short version, which is Lord, which is showing that that, that what he says, that he is Christ the Lord, he, he is saying that he's communicating the divinity of Jesus Christ, which is the heart of the gospel, that God incarnate has come to earth and that's what we see in verse 12 you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in the manger you see that verse speaks of the condescension of christ when we think of someone who's condescending we think of somebody who talks down to us right but this is not saying that jesus was condescending it is his condescension in other words he humbled himself here he is fully god and yet he comes to be a man. Christ the Lord is born in a manger as a baby. He becomes flesh. So part of the good news is the humiliation of Christ. The humiliation of Christ. The great historic doctrine of the church that the Son of God became a real man. He didn't just appear to be man. He really was man. When he was born, God the Son placed the exercise of his all-powerfulness of his all-presence, of his all-knowingness under the direction of God the Father. 
He didn't give up those attributes. He was still fully God, but he submitted their exercise in his life to the Father's discretion. And, and though he was sinless, he had a real human body, a real human mind, a, and real human emotions, complete with their inherent human weaknesses. What a mystery that is. We talked about this morning in Sunday school, just how there can be apparent contradictions in the Bible because there are things that are too great for us, like for the Trinity. How can God be three persons and yet one God? This is another one to, for us to, to wrestle with. Is How could God be fully God and fully man? And yet he is. And Jesus was truly man. The Son subjected himself to his own creation and its physical laws and its ups and its downs. He would experience the development of human reason and language. He would be taught things he didn't know. He, he walked like a baby before he walked like a man. He talked like a baby before he talked like a man. The growing pains of the Son of God were just as real for him as, as for us. And we need not to forget that. Uh, as Harold Best says, he said, the only difference was that Jesus did his learning, his growing, his maturing, sinlessly and perfectly. But this does not mean that he was an instant learner. It didn't mean that he just knew everything. He had to learn to be a carpenter from his earthly father, Joseph. Jesus Christ lived with a human body, mind, and soul and all their limitations, except for sin. Now, I, I, I take time to sort of focus on that one truth because I want us to consider the implications of Christ's astounding capacity for sympathy and to understand uh, for what we experience in this life. I want you to know that you have a Savior that understands the things that you are going through in your life. You know, there's something I learned this week. I, I didn't realize this. There's a thing called uh, sympathetic resonance. Okay, sympathetic resonance. And, and uh, the, the way I read it described was this, that if you took two pianos that were perfectly in tune, perfectly in tune, and you put them in a room and you struck the note on one piano, that very same note would play on the other piano. Even without human being pushing the key to make that note, but it's that sympathetic resonance that occurs. Now, now think about that with Christ. Christ's instrument, so to speak, was the same as ours. His instrument, his humanity was like ours in every way, except he had no sin. And when a, a chord is struck in the weakness of our human instrument, it resonates in his. There's no note of human experience that does not play in Christ as well. And we need to understand that. Jesus has an unequal capacity of sympathy for those things that we go through. It goes far beyond just intellectually understanding what we go through. Jesus doesn't just imagine how his children feels. He feels it. We are all sometimes under incredible pressure. We, we, we may feel that no one understands, much less cares. But the truth is, any note that we play in our lives, whether it be a melody or a dirge or a minor key or a, a, a discordant note, it has sympathetic resonance in the heart of Jesus Christ. And this is the supreme glory of the incarnation that, that God understands. And all glory be to his name. Amen. 
Do you need that sympathy this morning? You may be here and you may be struggling and you may be wrestling and you may know him as Savior and you rejoice and you thank God for his salvation. But sometimes you forget what a great Savior he is. That he is a God, that he listens, he, he knows, he, ex he experiences those things. And yet he is God, so he has the ability to, to bring his will to bear in your life in a way that will glorify him and that will be for the good of his children. So with Christ, there is understanding. And so the angels come and they proclaim this good news that the, that the Savior, Christ, the Lord has come. And, and what is their response? They can't help but praise him. Look at verse 13 and 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude. That means a throng, a, a whole bunch, kids, if you want to put it in your language. There were just a whole bunch of uh, angels, of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, you have to understand that when it talks about the heavenly host, yes, it could be referring to planets, things like that, but here he's referring to angels. As a matter of fact, that language is used oftentimes to describe the army of the Lord. And so now you need to understand, my friends, that this is an army of angels more powerful than a billion million atom bombs, okay? I mean, these angels could have destroyed everything. I remember Christ, you know, when he's being betrayed, and, and uh, Peter decides he's going to step in and take things in his own hands. And he pulls out a sword and he chops off the ear of one of the servants of the high priest. And Jesus is like, really? A sword? I mean, now this is my paraphrase. Really? A sword? He said, I have legions of angels that I could call that could come and just decimate everything. Uh, and that's what we see here, this, this army of angels who could have incinerated every human being more powerful than anything. And what does this army of angels come to do? They come to proclaim peace. Peace between God and man. Peace even between man and man, but primarily between God and man. Now, we don't normally send an army to announce peace. Usually armies come to do other things. But this army comes to announce peace. And I, and I think in the very announcement of peace in this army, we're sort of reminded that one day this army will come again with the Lord Jesus Christ, and it will be too late for sinners at that point in time. This army will no longer be proclaiming peace, but judgment instead. So now, now is the time to stretch out your hand and to receive the free grace that God offers to you through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But you've got to understand that these, God, these angels are excited about the, the, the gospel. Angels don't just go through emotion. Sometimes we can be in worship. We can be singing God, amazing grace, and yet our minds are a million miles away, right? And we're just sort of singing the words, but we're not really worshiping the Lord through that. But the angels are not like that. They, they abide in the presence of the Lord. They are in heaven. And so when they say glory to God in the highest, they mean that. And they come and they worship the Lord. Glory to God in the highest. And they are genuinely excited about the gospel. Now, think about this. These are angels who have not sinned. There are angels who have rebelled against the Lord. But these are not those angels. 
They don't need forgiveness. Jesus did not die for them. And yet, in, 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 in who they are, they have seen the good news of the gospel. And even though it doesn't apply to them, they see the magnificent thing that God has done. And they worship and they praise Him. Brothers and sisters, how much more ought we to praise the Lord as recipients of that salvation that He has given to us? As we are reminded each and every day of our existence, of our struggle with sin, and to know that even though we struggle with sin, we have a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has forgiven us. And so we can worship and we can praise Him. Well, that sort of brings me to the, our response to the gospel. Uh, as we look at this, we see uh, in verse 15 that the angels went away from them into heaven. The shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. In other words, they have received the word of God as truth, and they immediately acted upon it in faith. So you see this response of faith. But as one commentator put it, he said, It's not enough to hear about Jesus. It's not enough to peek in the manger and say, Oh, how nice. What a lovely scene. It gives me so much good feelings, you know, so many good feelings. The truth is, even if Christ were born in Bethlehem a thousand times, but not within you, you would be eternally lost. The Christ who is born into the world must be born in your heart. Religious sentiment, even at Christmas time, without the, the living Christ, is a yellow brick road in darkness. But you see, the, the shepherds heard these things. They responded in faith, and they said, let's go check this out. And so they did, and they sought the Christ child. And that brings us to our second point. When, when, when they saw that, they responded in worship. Look at... Um, when the shepherds found Mary and Joseph and Jesus, the shepherds told them everything that had happened in the encounter with the angels. We see that in verse 17. And the result was, as one preacher put it, he said, the good news with Mary and with the shepherds sets Mary a pondering and the shepherds a praising. I think that's a good thing for us to remember. It sets Mary a pondering and the shepherds a praising. Uh, we see that in verses 19 and 20. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it, as it had been told them. You know, Mary, no doubt, was overwhelmed by all these things that she had seen. Uh, she had had revealed to her, whether that be through Gabriel appearing to her or hearing about her husband having a dream and the angel appearing to him. Or even the message that the shepherds had just told them. You could just imagine. Mary, in one sense, was sort of the epicenter of all that was happening. She expresses uh, her wonder and, and just meditated and thought about those things. And so we see in Mary's response and in the shepherds' response that of worship and, and amazement. John Owen, a long time ago, said... In the divine scriptures, there are shallows and there are depths. 
Uh, shallows where the lamb may wade and depths where the elephant may swim. I know I've used this illustration before, but it's a good reminder. And what he means by that is there are parts of the Bible that the youngest Christian can understand. It's like they're shallow enough, they're simple enough that they can like, yes, that makes so much sense. And they can respond uh, accordingly. But then there are some parts of the Bible that are so deep that even a duck, an elephant can swim in it and never touch the bottom. But you know, sometimes those, those points are really one and the same. A young Christian can give praise to God for something they read in the scripture, and yet then a more mature believer realizes the great depths of that truth. And they realize they, they can't fathom that. And it's a joy to see older saints who have gone through many dangers, toils, and snares who are still turning to Jesus, their Savior. And through sunshine and shadow, they're still trusting in the Lord. Those kind of things and encourage us in the gospel both young christians and mature christians have much to ponder and to consider and to think about and so mary and the shepherds are examples to us the good news ought to set us a pondering and appraising but then we see uh, finally and i just want to mention this they respond by going and telling others of of christ's birth they went about it says and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. And so here are these shepherds going around telling them. Now, we don't know the nature of these shepherds. I'm not trying to impugn who they are or their motives, but I was just thinking about this. What, what, how might we respond if we were in town and all of a sudden there was this homeless person who was known to be a drunk and a thief and, and a liar exaggerating the truth, and they were running through Andover telling you about what God was doing, what would your response be? Now, I don't know you for a fact, you know, what you would be thinking, but I'm assuming it would probably be something like, well, there's a lunatic, you know, and we would have a tendency not to believe him. And yet, these people were amazed at what the shepherds shared. Now, why should there be a miraculous announcement like this about Christ. I mean, in one sense, if you think about this, there was really little that came of this. The shepherds received this, this message. They heard the good news of the, the birth of the Savior. They went and they saw him. They went and they told other people. There was amazement, but that was just about it. But I would suggest to you that, that God chose to include this because it was fitting that the angels should come and to worship the coming Savior and, and, and praise God for what he was doing and providing salvation for people. Regardless of how people responded to it, God is worthy to be praised for this. And I know the glory of these circumstances quickly dissipated. The angels disappeared. Life went back to normal. But it reminds us, and I think God gave us this text that we can be looking at in 2021 to remind us of, of God's great salvation. And let me ask you here this morning, brothers and sisters, is your heart one of worship to your God today for what he has done to you? Does it remind you that the spirit of Christmas is one of worship to the one who is worthy, to the one who is one of us, who can sympathize with us, but also is God who can save us. God who made everything and rules over all 
and saves all his people from their sins. Brothers and sisters, it's extraordinary news to ordinary people. Amen? Please bow with me if you would this morning as we meditate on these things. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gospel of your dear Son. We pray that you would grant that we would know that we need it. Lord, grant that we would understand it. Grant that we would believe it each and every day. That we would be confronted with the gospel. And Lord, that our hearts would be uh, stirred to ponder and to meditate upon these things, to think of the, the, the shallow things and the deep things of Scripture. Lord, and, and your wonderful grace. And may we do that for the rest of our lives and praise you for it with both our lips and our lives. It's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen.